Welcome everyone this Sunday, May the 3rd, 2020 to Meadowbrook Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. Please join us as we sing our first hymn, Love Lifted Me. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us and for your blessings and goodness and mercy that you have showered our lives with. We thank you for uh, so many things, and we're grateful for so many things today. And Father, we pray that uh, you would be with uh, our country uh, and in the pandemic that we are facing that you would continue to give wisdom and guidance to those that are leading us and we pray father that you would uh, give wisdom to those who, who are seeking for cures and that you would provide healing and help to those who have contracted the disease or have people in their families who've had it and we pray father that you would uh, through your spirit that you would offer hope and and guidance uh, uh, to, to everyone as we uh, learn to live through, uh, uh, through these difficult circumstances. And Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather here today uh, and to look at your word. May, it, may we find comfort and guidance and strength in it. Forgive us where we fail you, Lord, and may everything that's said and done honor and glorify you today. For it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Again, we're glad you're here to worship with us. Let's stand and sing. Stand up, stand up for Jesus.
I hope that you were singing the song and noticing the song. I, I like that phrase, which I think is very applicable today. Uh, stand up for Jesus, the strife will not be long. I hope that's true. I hope it's not much longer uh, it, with this particular uh, uh, episode and circumstances that we are dealing with. This morning, as I come to you, this, of course, is May the 3rd, the first Sunday in May. And traditionally, it is our homecoming day and here at Meadowbrook. And so today, our church is 55 years old. And normally, we would be celebrating it with our homecoming service. Uh, but because of the coronavirus, uh, as you well know, we're not going to be able to do that. So we've postponed that uh, celebration to later on uh, to be scheduled at a later time. Uh, but I do want to acknowledge that this morning, that today would be our 55th uh, homecoming. And it is a special day in our history, and we appreciate those who've come before us and paved the way for us to be able to be here today. And I just wanted to notice that before I begin the sermon this morning. Uh, thinking about homecoming, it made me think about the church as a whole. So this morning, I want to speak uh, uh, about the church or in relation to the church in becoming a church to boast about. Becoming a church to boast about. An usher came up to a man sprawled out on a pew in the church. Sir, said the usher, please set up so others can have a seat. But the man didn't move. He just moaned a little. So the usher spoke again, this time more seriously. Sir, if you don't get up, I'm going to have to call the police. Again, the man only moaned a little bit. So the usher called the police. And when the police officer came to the pew where the man was sprawled out, the police officer was even more stern and serious. Get up, buddy, he said. But once again, the man didn't move. He only moaned a little bit. So the officer said, what's your name, buddy? And finally came a weak answer from the man sprawled out on the pew. Sam. Where are you from, Sam, said the officer. The balcony, said Sam. <laughs> he fell out of the balcony down on the pew. Now think about that for a moment. Can you imagine that? A man fell from the balcony of the church, and not only wasn't there anybody willing to help him, but they called the police on him. And they were ready to kick him out of the church uh, because of what happened. So get this. Here's a man who's hurting, a man who's injured, a man who's in pain, a man who's needing help, and the church is ready to throw him out in the street. Now, I said all that to say this. What do you think of a church that's like this? Would, would it be the kind of church that you would want to attend? Would it be the kind of church that you would want to tell others about? Would it be the kind of church that you would want to invite others to attend? 
would it be a church that is worthy of boasting about? And I think the ideal of being a church that could be boasted about is a wonderful goal uh, for any church. And we need to learn how to make that happen. So think with me this morning, becoming a church to boast about. And I want you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 as we read verses 1 through 3. 1 through 4, excuse me. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. So notice Paul said, we, you are one of among God's churches that we boast about. We boast about. So what does it take to become a church to boast about? Now, I want you to understand as far as a background, Paul had planted the church at Thessalonica and after only three Sabbath days uh, Paul was forced to leave because of the Jews in the town they formed a mob they started a riot and they rushed the house where Paul and Silas were staying forcing Paul and Silas to flee in the middle of the night as Paul moved on to Athens he wondered if the work that was done at Thessalonica would hold up. He wondered if he had been there long enough uh, and had given them enough for this church to, to really stand. Uh, you see, Thessalonica was a very important location for a Christian church. The city sat on the side of what was known as the Ignatian Way. And the Ignatian Way was a super highway. It was a trade route that tied the eastern part of the world to the western part of the world. And Paul, from a strategic point of view, looked at it like this. If, they, if the Christian faith had a strong church and a strong witness in Thessalonica, then people who passed through that city would come to know Jesus as their personal Savior and then take it back to wherever they were going. They would share their faith back at their home, and thus the gospel could be spread to other places. And so this church at Thessalonica, he considered to be a very strategic location for a Christian church. And to find out what was going on back at Thessalonica, uh, Paul and Silas, uh, or Paul sent Silas back after they had left town and were gone a while, uh, they sent Silas back. And when Silas later on caught up with Paul, he was at Corinth. And Paul learned some things there at Corinth about the church at Thessalonica. What he learned was that the church was going to survive. 
It was going to be a strong church, a robust church, a growing church. And this was fantastic news for Paul. And so Paul began writing letters back to the church, back to the church at Thessalonica. And in these letters he encouraged them and he also corrected some theological misunderstandings uh, that they had. So he wrote a couple letters back uh, uh, for this purpose and for this aim. Now, in this second letter that we read our text from a few moments ago, Paul said of the Thessalonian church in verse 4, We boast about your your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. The church at Thessalonica was a church worthy of boasting status. What makes a church worthy of boasting status? How do you achieve boasting status? Let me point out three qualities uh, that a church, any church, that if these qualities embody that church, I think they can consider themselves as receiving boasting status. And I want you to notice what these three are. Number one, notice this. To become a church to boast about, growth must be a priority. Growth must be a priority. And we see that in the beginning verses, uh, beginning phrases of verse 3. Paul thanked God that the faith of the Thessalonians believers was noticed growing more and more. Now, that may seem strange uh, to us because the city of Thessalonica had a population of over 200,000 at this time. They were noted for their Greek philosophers, for the agnostics that lived there, and even for the atheists that lived in the city of Thessalonica. And since they ran Paul and Silas out of town, as we mentioned a few few moments ago, we know that the Christian believers faced strong opposition to the gospel and to the idea of one God and of worshiping one God. So we would expect that the believers here were facing pressure. They were facing hostility. They were facing hatred for professing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet Paul says they were growing. They were facing all of this this hostility, but yet in the middle of the hostility and the pressure and the persecution, they were growing. And not only were they growing... But the word that's used here suggests they were growing rapidly. The Greek here suggests that the idea is one of vigorous growth. Or literally translated would mean outgrowing all bounds. So it was, it was fast growth. It was continued growth. It was quick growth. It was rapid growth. It's what we would say today and describe as vegetable growth as opposed to long, slow, steady growth. In other words, what I'm saying is think how quick a tomato plant grows 
and produces a tomato as opposed to a forest or as opposed to uh, how long it takes trees in a forest to grow. Think about how quick the tomato plant grows and compare that to how long it takes an oak tree, for instance, to grow. And so what Paul's saying, these people are growing. This church is growing more and more, meaning they are having vigorous growth. Think how, how, think how quick that is. It was taking off. It was growing quickly. It was growing rapidly. Outward, the numbers were increasing. There were more people coming to church. It means that, but it also means inwardly, the gospel was transforming them. They were growing on the inside, and they were, were becoming more like Jesus. That, that word entails all of this. You listen, growth is a sign of life. And a church is dead or dying when its members fail to make growth a priority in their life. A lot of Christians come into the church and here's what they say, I'm saved, I'm baptized, that's all I need to do, it's all been taken care of. But that's simply not true. Conversion, it is a turning around, but it's not a standing still, I want you to understand. You must make growth a priority in your life. If you don't, if you don't make growth a priority, then decay and decline and death will take place in your spiritual life. Now, I'll tell you something. Growing is not always pleasant. It can, it, it can be uneasy. It can be uncomfortable uh, to grow. It involves work. It involves labor. It involves toil. It takes commitment and focus and surrender. And sometimes... Growth is met with surprise. The other day I read a story about three young men who were in a maternity ward in the hospital in the good old days, and this is what I call the good old days, when the men waited and didn't participate in the birthing process. We waited in what was called the waiting room, and then the doctor or nurse came in there and told us, you are the proud father of a boy or a girl. And uh, those were the good old days. Now, that's my opinion. I'm just, that's just my opinion. I want you to understand that. But all three of these men were growing a family. And it was exciting, as you can imagine. And so while they were waiting, the nurse came into the waiting room and said to one of the guys, Congratulations, you have twins. The young man thanked her. And started gathering up his stuff. And he said, you know, that's odd. And they, the others said, why? Because he said, I work for the Minnesota Twins baseball team. I just think that's odd. And so a little later, the nurse returned and said to the second guy, congratulations, sir, you have triplets. Well, the young man said, that's a coincidence, I think. Because, isn't that a coincidence? Because... I work for 3M. Well, when he said that, the other guy started gathering up all of his stuff uh, and, and announced to the whole waiting room, I'm out of here. And he said, I'm out of here. I'm gone. I work for 7 Up. And, <laughs> and he wasn't waiting. 
uh, to find out what the next news was. Uh, you see, growth, growth brings unexpected sometimes. Growth takes hard work. Uh, do you want to be a part of a great church? Do you want to be a part of one worthy of being boasted about? Bo- being boasted about? Then let its members place a priority on growth. In Second Peter chapter three and verse eighteen, we have a command here in the scripture from Peter. He said, "Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." Now, doesn't it seem strange that we have to tell spiritual children to grow? We don't have to tell our physical kid, our biological kids to grow. We don't have to tell plants to grow. We don't look at a tree and say grow, that we have to give it instructions. Uh, but, but the problem is in the spiritual life, all of us have wills. And we want to cast our will against God's will. And we're sinful and we're stubborn. And if we don't advance and if we don't grow, then our understanding of the Christian faith is sure to decay and face corruption. Listen, as growth ceases, disintegration will commence. So get into the Word. Get into prayer. Get into service. Get into witnessing to the lost. Get into putting on day-to-day display what you've learned in private uh, as you've talked to God. If you'll make growth a priority, you will progress and you will grow in your faith and you'll help your church reach boasting status. So first of all, to become a church to boast about, growth must be a priority. Secondly, this leads us to a second truth. To become a church to boast about, secondly, love, love must be allowed to overflow. Love must be allowed to overflow. Look at the second part of verse 3. He said, uh, We thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. Notice this. And the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. You see, Paul not only thanked God that the Thessalonians were growing more and more, but he also thanked God that the love that every one of you has for each other is increasing. Now again, in the text, the picture here of the word increasing is an interesting word because what it describes actually is a flood of water overflowing the dam and flowing over everything. And this is what Paul says. The picture is almost here of a dam bursting and flooding the valley below, but let's say in a good way. Uh, and, and the love that this church had for each other, it was what Paul is saying, it was spilling over. It couldn't be contained. It was of such intensity that it couldn't be controlled. That's what Paul said of the Thessalonian church. Your love that you have for each other is increasing and spilling over. It's, 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 uh, it's flowing. It's abounding. Uh, you know, the early 
the early Christians, uh, the early Christians, they knew how to love each other. Uh, in the first century, the Roman emperor Hadrian asked for information about this new group called Christians. And Aristides wrote the following description and sent it to the emperor. And here's what he said about the early Christians in the first century. They love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who, that will hurt them. They give freely to the man that has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home. Now this is what the Romans said about the Christians in the first century. What a testimony that is when you read that. Uh, they love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans. They freely give to the man who has nothing. What a testimony. That is a blessing uh, to read that. Don't that description make you want to be a part of that group and be a part of that church? Well, the church at Thessalonica had a same kind of reputation. Uh, their love was overflowing. It could not be contained. Their love was flooding the area. I think that's great. I think that's a goal every church should have. Because some churches you go to or you hear about make you feel like when you get there you've walked into a war zone when you walk into their presence. They're fussing, they're fighting, they're belly aching, they're griping, they're complaining. Not this church. Not the church at Thessalonica. They knew how to love each other. And you know what? That makes, what to me, what makes this even more impressive is that they were demonstrating this love in the midst of persecution and pressure. It wasn't the fact that everything was going well for them that, they were, that their love was increasing. Everything was going bad for them, but their love for each other was increasing. On the outside, they were facing pressure. You know what happens in times of suffering? People have a tendency to get selfish, to build walls and to shut themselves off to think only of themselves and their circumstances. But not these believers. They faced the pressure of persecution. And instead of building walls, they built bridges. And they drew people close to them. What a goal this is for any church. For our church, we all need to find new ways to let our love overflow. And to let our love increase to those that are around us. And I hope that you'll, you'll leave after hearing this message today thinking, how can I make my church, how can I make my church a place that will reach out to others and let the love of Jesus flow through me? So first of all, to become a church to boast about, Growth must be a priority. Secondly, love must be allowed to overflow. And that brings us to our third and last quality and truth that we want to look at this morning. Number three, to become a church to boast about, endurance 
must be a trademark. Endurance must be a trademark. Notice what Paul said in verse 4. Among God's churches, he said, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials. Notice, you are enduring. We boast about that because you are enduring. You, a trademark of you Thessalonians is this. You endure. You're, you're, you're there. You're enduring. Now outside the walls of the church, these Christians were being persecuted. I already mentioned that several times. They face hostile actions from others designed to cause them to suffer because they had expressed faith in Jesus. Inside of each one of them, they face pressure and stress and affliction. Why? Because they were living the Christian life. So they had persecution on the outside. They had pressure on the inside. These hardships were there from the very beginning of these of these. Of, of these church members Christian pilgrimage from, from the very first steps that they took as believers they had encountered persecution and I want you to know it hadn't let up you know what it had done it got worse and it was going to get even worse they were mocked they were ridiculed they were threatened they were criticized they were mistreated and how did these Thessalonians respond to that? They endured. Look at the last word in verse 4. They endured. Again, a great word in the Greek because this word carries the idea of to stay under. They stayed under the persecution. They stayed under the pressure. This word means to stay under till you master the problem. In other words, you stay under it till it don't matter anymore to you. It don't matter. Now realize this, and I want you to hear me clearly. They could have escaped the pressure and persecution at any moment they wanted to. You know what they had to do? The only thing they ever had to do was renounce their faith in Jesus Christ, throw up their hands, say, it's enough, I've had enough, I don't want any more, and they could have walked out and been pressure-free. Instead, these Thessalonian believers endured. They remained under the pressure. They remained under the persecution. They weren't intimidated. They weren't terrified. They held fast. They stayed the course. They were brave. They were persistent. Week after week, day after day, they hung tough. They said by their commitment, we're here to stay and we won't quit and we won't give up. They endured. The life of every believer in every era of time is the same. 
there will be persecutions. There will be trials. That's what Jesus told us. There will always be people on the outside who will threaten you and criticize you and make your life tough. There will always be trials that you have to deal with on the inside. Disappointments, injustices, and unforgiveness. Here's what I want you to hear. Real believers stay under. They stay under. Real believers hold on to Jesus. They hold on to their faith. They stay the course. They fight to the finish. They finish the race. They endure. They persevere. They stay under. Real believers do that. Jack Hanley, in his book, Fuzzy Memory, tells the story about a bully who demanded his lunch money every day. And since Jack was smaller than the bully, you know what he did? He always gave in, gave the bully his lunch money. One day he decided he was going to do something about it. He decided that he was going to fight back. So he started taking karate lessons. But then the instructor of the karate lessons told him he wanted $5 a lesson. And so Jack figured it all up and he went back and what he decided to do was pay the bully because it was cheaper paying him the lunch money than paying for the karate lessons. He made that decision. Listen, I know a lot of Christians that are just like old Jack. They find it easier to pay the bully. Give in to the pressure. Give in to the trials rather than endure. But here's what I want you to know today. Don't you pay the bully. If you pay the bully, you can never obtain boasting status. So you stay under. You endure. Because that's the trademark of every believer. David Randolph, and I'll share this and I'll close. David Randolph tells of visiting Italy one time and watching a circus parade through town. Suddenly, one of the elephants veered off from the parade and went right into a church that was on the side of the street. The, the elephant went down the aisle of the church. He trumpeted real loudly. He swung his trunk around for a while. Then he went back out to church and got back into the parade. Randolph had watched all of this and he simply said, made this interesting comment. He said, I wonder if this is all church is to most people. It's a place to enter, a place to make some noise, and then resume our place in the parade of life. I hope you're not like that. I hope you're not like that. I hope it's more than that to you. If that's all church is to you, then your church will never reach boasting status. Your church will never really help you either. I want you to understand that. Like the Thessalonians, strive. Strive to make your church a place to grow, a place to love and a place to endure all things for our Lord 
so that others may come to know Jesus through its ministry. Let's bow our heads. After you hear this message, after hearing this message this morning, you may wonder, what do I need to do with it? Let me say before I have a short prayer. First of all, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, then you can accept Him. You can know Him as Savior and Lord today. And you can do this with a very simple prayer. Pray this prayer sincerely. Mean it in your heart and pray it to God. Say, Father, I am a sinner. I deserve to spend eternity separated from you. But I believe Jesus is your Son, that He died for me on the cross and rose again on the third day, and He's coming back one day. I open my heart to Him, and I promise to follow Him for the rest of my life. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If you'll pray that prayer, mean it in your heart, then I believe the Lord will save you. If you're already a believer and you feel like you've wandered from God, then what you need to do is confess your sins and recommit your life to Jesus and get back on the road to obedience and service. In 1 John 1, 9, the scriptures tell us if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whether you need to know Christ or you need to recommit your life to Christ, then let me invite you to come to Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for, for uh, giving us uh, the, the opportunity to become a part of your family through Jesus. And we pray if there's one who doesn't know Christ, that they would come to know him uh, through this time through this time this morning. Uh, in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. If you've come to know Christ as a result of this message, please call the church. We would be glad to send you some information uh, that would help you in your growth as a believer. Uh, but until the next time, have a great week. Be safe. Mm -hmm.